the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus' fame grew all around Israel, many people being a fan of his good work but not willing to give up their pride and accept his salvation. Jesus shared that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and elders of Israel. The religious leaders of the day hated Jesus and wanted him dead. Jesus called all men to humbly follow after God, recognizing their inability to save themselves. A tax collector named Zacchaeus confessed his sin and repented, following Jesus. Many Jews were baffled, accusing Jesus of being friends with sinners and morally bankrupt people. Jesus began to share a parable with the people. It was of a rich man who entrusted some money to servants while he was away on business. Two servants did what was asked of them, but there was a servant who did nothing with what was given to him. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 19, verse 20. Look at verse 20. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, Check this out. Look at this. Here's your pound, just like you gave it to me, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. Now, a napkin is a scarf that you'd usually use to wipe off your sweat. You know, you'd carry it around when you're working and wipe off your sweat. Sometimes they would turn them into, they'd wet them in hot days and they'd put them on the back of their neck to keep them from getting sunburned and to keep, keep themselves cool. But the idea is always associated with work. So this guy took his work scarf, he bundled it up, the pound, the mina, and he laid it up, which means to store away for safekeeping, tucked it under the mattress. Here it is, Lord, safe and sound. Now, was the nobleman's command to keep the pound safe and sound? The nobleman's command was to do business until I return, right? Well, not only did this servant disobey that command, but he clearly wasn't doing any work since his sweat scarf was available to wrap the pound up in. Why did he choose this disobedient and lazy route? Verse 21, for I feared you. It means to be in a constant state of fear. Why was he in a constant state of fear of his master? He says, because you are an austere man, the King James says. The word means harsh, strict, difficult, demanding. How is his master difficult and harsh? Well, he tells us, you take up that which you do not lay down and you reap that which you did not sow. The word take up means to withdraw money from a bank. You withdraw money from a bank that you did not deposit. In other words, you withdraw money from a bank that doesn't belong to you. It was money someone else earned, money someone else got, worked for. I knew you're a difficult man. I knew that if I worked hard for this money, that you'd take it all from me. I know you reap where you didn't sow. You don't go out and work the fields, but you go and you reap the harvest. This guy was afraid that if he earned extra money, his master wouldn't 
let him keep any of it. That all his hard work would be for nothing for himself. So rather than deal with that frustration, he figured, I'll disobey my master's command. I'm not going to do anything. I'll just give it back to him when he gets back. Then I won't have to be angry. We read this and we think, oh, this guy's scared of losing the money. That's not the problem. That's not the problem at all. This was a proud, greedy, lazy servant. You know what his problem was? What's in it for me? And since in his mind, he believed nothing was in it for him, he said, I'm not going to do anything. I deserve better than to give my life away for someone else's profit. Does that sound like Jesus's mentality at all? No, in fact, that's the exact opposite of Jesus's mentality. In under two weeks, he was going to go to the cross and give his life a ransom for all of us, right? Not to his own good. What would Christ gain out of this? He already had everything. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus doesn't go away to a far country to receive a kingdom. It's already his. He just hasn't taken it yet. So he gains nothing from laying his life down for us. He gave his life away fully and freely for our profit. When we think about these servants, this fits perfectly with the lesson that the kingdom isn't about to show up. The mindset of me, me, me. Jesus is far more like the good faithful servant, isn't he? Who did everything that his father asked him to do. Didn't he perform his task to the full satisfaction of his father? John 12, 23 answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified, referring to the cross. And so at the end he says, Father, glorify thy name. Save me from this hour, yet for this cause came I into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Every time the father spoke from heaven, he said the same exact thing. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. I mean, he is the faithful servant. Did everything his dad asked him to do. He's the nobleman that, you know, that's going to be king. I mean, Jesus is the hero in every way of the story. Now, the people's idea of what their hero was supposed to do was something vastly different, and therefore satanic. Look at Luke chapter 4 with me, verses 5 through 7. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, in the second temptation, we see this same mentality that the people had offered to him here. Luke 4, 5, and the devil, it says, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, all this power, this authority, this jurisdiction, this right to rule, will I give to you? You don't have to go into a far country. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give it to you right now. For it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If you'll therefore worship me, all shall be thine. You don't have to do this for no profit to yourself, Jesus. I'll give you the kingdom now. You get all the profit, all the authority, none of the pain. Same attitude the servant had, right? The wicked one. Same attitude the people have. Jesus, by bringing up this wicked servant, he points out the people's pride, their greed, their spiritual laziness in substituting their plan for God's plan. Their faith isn't in the Lord. It's in themselves and their own ideas. And you can never please God with that mindset. So in verse 22, we see what the king says to this servant. And he said unto him, out of your own mouth will I judge you, will I condemn you as guilty. Thou wicked servant. The word there means worthless. Worthless. 
You've been no prophet to me. You knew that I was an austere man, taking up that which I didn't lay down and reaping that which I did not sow. Wherefore then did you not give the money, my money into the bank that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? So he said unto them that stood by, take from him the worthless servant, take from him the pound and give it to him that has 10 pounds. Now when he says you knew that I was an austere man, the phrase there you knew, it's a very weird tense. We don't really use it in our English. We have it, but we just don't use it. It's something called the pluperfect. It's a completed action in the past that goes forward into the future, but not to the present, not all the way to the present. So like you have the imperfect tense, which means an incomplete action that's still ongoing. The perfect tense, which is a completed action that's ongoing forever. But this is something that was sure and was done, but then all of a sudden the future is not. And when you put it with the word know here, it means to fully know something in the past, but now you don't in the present. It's possible this new king here is being sarcastic. Oh, you knew, you were convinced how demanding and harsh I was, but now you see how I've treated these other two servants and you know that's not true, that I'm gracious. It's also possible that this new king had maybe been that way in the past and now since his fortunes have changed, he's changed. I don't know which one it is. Either way, the wicked servant made the wrong choice by doing nothing. He believed that this master wasn't good. And whether he had evidence to believe that or not, he acted in his own best interest, his own self-interest, based on that assessment. If he didn't want to work for the profit of his master, he could have at least put it in the bank to gain interest, right? Worthless is the right word. His master had trusted him with something very little, And he got nothing out of it. So the master does the reasonable thing. He gives that extra 20 bucks to the guy who'd been 100% faithful. He won't mess it up. Up to this point, the crowd's out there listening and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, cool, you know? This is Archelaus' story. I love how this one ends. But then they go, this isn't Archelaus' story. Not really realizing it's their story. But they get to this point and when he gives the 20 bucks to the guy who had 200 bucks, All of a sudden, the crowd goes, time out, Jesus. Why did the master give an extra pound to the guy who already has 10 extra pounds? He's going to get to rule over 10 cities. This guy's going to be living large. He's already got enough. And so they voice their complaint to Jesus. Verse 25 says, they said unto him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. Some Bibles will have that in red letters there, but most commentators do not believe the they here is referring to the they that the master says to give the pound to. They believe it's the crowd, and I do too. It's not uncommon when I'm sharing the gospel with someone to all of a sudden be interrupted by an unbeliever or a struggling believer, and they'll say, I just can't serve your God. He's not good. He's not fair. And when we examine the worthless servant's words, we see he says the same thing. God is mean. God is greedy. God is selfish. God is unfair. And so in essence, God isn't good. Now the wicked servant used that excuse to do nothing with what was given to him. And I find that many people do the same thing with their lives. Oh, but God's only given me 20 bucks. I deserve more. The life God gave me stinks, so why should I serve him with it? Or why did God give that person, already has 200 bucks, $20 more? God's unfair. I deserve that 20 bucks. That's why I won't serve your God. He's not worthy to be served. 
You see, the Jews in Jesus' day believed they deserved better, that they'd suffered enough, that they were good, righteous people. They deserved the kingdom. They deserved a world without pain or sorrow or oppression from enemies. So when they see this injustice, this already very wealthy man, now was all of a sudden become wealthy overnight, now he gets more, they speak up. And Jesus' answer is very sobering. For I say unto you, which this is the point now, this is Jesus' conclusion, Lord, he has 10 pounds. You're right. For I say unto you, that unto everyone which has shall be given, and from him that has not, even that which he has shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Jesus says, everyone which has, he shall be given. The phrase there, everyone which has, it means the one who possesses or owns something. We don't know what the something is, but if you already have that something, you'll be given more. But if you don't have that something, everything else you do have will be taken away. So what's the something we need to have? It sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Well, Jesus already told us earlier in his ministry. Look at Luke 8 with me. Luke 8, verse 18. Luke 8, 18 comes after the parable of the sower. And of course, the parable of the sower is about the different soils. Soils kind of representing the condition of our hearts, how we receive the, God's word, God's truth. And at the end of that whole section, Jesus in verse 18 says, Take heed, pay close attention to, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever has, to him shall be given. And whosoever has not, from him shall be taken even that which he seems to have. There it is right there, right? Same lesson. What is the something that we must have? A hearing heart, a receptive heart to God's word, to God's truth. That's the something we need to have. And if we have that something, God will give us more in his grace, in his mercy, in his kindness. He gives grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But if you don't have a hearing heart, even what you think you do have, everything you have, it'll be lost. This worthless servant, he assumed his master wasn't good and that he deserved better. Came to that conclusion all on his own, ignoring what was true. In his pride, he didn't take heed to how he processed the information in front of him. And as a result, he lost everything that God gave him. On the other hand, the servant who trusted his master, believed he was good, and served faithfully, he didn't just get 10 cities. The master let him keep every penny he earned with the master's 20 bucks. And then the master gave him an extra 20 bucks. Do you understand now why we're going to cast down our crowns in heaven? This, he's going to say, here's your crown of life because you persevered to the end. Or here's your, here's your crown of this, your triumphant crown. What all the different crowns, the crown of victory. All the different crowns the Bible mentions. He's going to say, here's your crown. I'll look at this thing and I'm going to go, I did all that with your capital. I didn't bring any of my own investment to the table. I was in rebellion against you. I wasn't looking for you. But you came and found me and you saved me. And then he gave me this calling. He said, this is what I want to do with your life. This is what I made you for. Now go do it. And I didn't even maybe do it really well. <laughs> Sometimes I did. Or maybe like the faithful servant all the time. Whatever. I think Jesus is probably the only one who can qualify for that. But either way, I take that and I'm like, I did whatever I accomplished 
with your investment. It wasn't me. So we'll throw our crowns down and we'll proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain, not me. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and glory. And then you know what he's going to do? Pick it up and put it back on our head. So you're faithful in a few things. I'll make you faithful over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God will heap on blessing upon blessing and his mercy and kindness for all eternity. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So my question to you today is, do you believe it, that he's good? Do you believe that he's going to show you his kindness for all eternity? Do you believe God is faithful? And do you believe that he's worthy of your service and of your life? I do. I do. And that's the good news that I declare to you this morning. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And that if you'll walk in the light as he is in the light you'll have a relationship with him and experience his goodness forever. Amen? Now, does that mean we do nothing while we wait for Jesus' return? Certainly not. Turn to Ephesians 5 with me. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Paul spent the first three chapters of Ephesians telling us all the grace that God's given to us, all that he's going to do. And then in chapter 4, he starts saying, hey, now, God's done this for you. Walk worthy of that calling. Part of that walking worthy is this exhortation here. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, which means carefully, not lazily, not aimlessly. See that you conduct your life carefully, not as fools, but as wise. How do we do that? Verse 16, redeeming the time. That comes from the same word that we get occupy from. Doing business, his business with your time. His business with your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Wherefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, those faithful servants, they worked hard with what God had given to them. But every reward that God gave to the both of them was a gift of grace far above their efforts, far above their faithfulness. So when you understand it's all of grace, at the same time, why we work, though, we work because that's what he wants us to do. Because we're to occupy till he comes. That's our calling. Because we're to be about his business. And as we're faithful in that, he will not give us a reward (laughs) that's proportional to our faithfulness. He will give us a reward that's far above our faithfulness. So, listen to the truth. Trust the Lord. Labor faithfully and receive his goodness. Amen? Now, we do have one other verse before we close. What about those who sent a delegation to protest the nobleman's reign? Well, whether Jesus is referring to his own enemies right now, which is very likely, or he's just closing out the parable, I don't know. 
But in verse 27, he says, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Now, while the kingdom isn't going to appear when Jesus strolls up to Jerusalem, it is coming someday, guys. Jesus wants them to understand that. It is coming. And when it does, you don't want to be part of the resistance because you'll be crushed. In Revelation 19, John says, and I saw a white horse. And him that rode on the white horse had a name that no man knew. He was called Faithful and True. And out of his mouth came a bright sword, which he used to smite the nations. Jesus is coming back. He is returning. And he will be king. Jesus shares this last part here because the delegation's complaint will be the response many will have toward him in just a few days. In John 19, we see the interaction between Pilate and the Jews. Pilate, time and time again, tries to deliver Jesus out of their hands, get them to revoke their accusation of him being a king. Finally, when he presents them after his scourging, he says to them, behold your king. And what does Israel say? We will not have this man to rule over us. We have no king but Caesar. This sermon or this parable was a final chance to repent for so many people in the crowd who would be there chanting that. We have no king but Caesar in just a few days. If you have never repented of your sins and confessed Christ as your king, time is running out. In 2,000 years, we are way closer to his return than they were back then. Jesus didn't want them to experience judgment, and he feels the same way about you. So my question to you this morning, I plead with you, won't you repent? Will you stop fighting God? Stop claiming he's not good, he's not fair, and just doing whatever you want with your life. And why not run into his arms and find all the grace and mercy that you need? Let's pray. God, you know every heart here today. You know where we're at. Lord, there may be many of us who have even, like the servant, Lord, who have just questioned your goodness and not surrendered things. We've not been obedient to you with what you've asked us to do. Maybe we've just lived life on our own terms. Lord, there's still time to change you haven't returned yet. Still time to go and unfold the napkin and take out what you gave to us and to use it for your glory. So Lord, wherever your sons and your daughters are here today, if they've been faithful, Lord, strengthen them to remain faithful. If they've dropped the ball, Lord, have slacked as they return home, and recommit themselves, Lord. Let them know that you love them, that you accept them, you receive them. And if anybody here needs a fresh start, Lord, need to pull that pound out and get back to work, Lord, will you give it to them? 
We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy that they're new every morning. <laughs> they're always good. And then you don't write us off, Lord. And every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and you need to repent of your sins and make Jesus your king and you want to do that this morning, just lift your hand up because I'd like to pray with you as you make that commitment to follow Jesus. To say, I want him to be my king. Amen. Anybody else this morning? Say, I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be my king. I choose to repent of living life on my own terms, believing in my own goodness, and decide to believe in God's goodness instead. Just lift your hand high so I can see. Well, if you raise your hand or if you wanted to do that, but you're, it was uncomfortable for you to raise your hand, just pray with me now and say, Lord Jesus, I agree with you that I have gone my own way. I've sinned against you. I've lived life in my own terms. But I don't want to anymore. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I want to give you my life. Will you please forgive me and make me your child? Thank you for doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.